Y'all turn with me, Galatians chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 4. So uh, we're done with the love languages. We're going to talk about something else today. And, and I, I have to tell you, this whole series has been uh, pretty generally about loving the people God has brought to us, our most important relationships. But today is going to be really marriage-focused. So for those of you who aren't married right now, uh, just understand this still applies to you. A lot of you plan to be married someday, and, and so this will be helpful to you. Even if you don't, even if you're like, no, that's not God's call in my life, hallelujah for that. There's some people who are called to a life of singleness like Paul, um, but you still uh, need to know how to pray for marriages and know what, what marriage is intended to be. So um, how many of y'all are familiar with a comedian named Jim Gaffigan? Anybody know Gaffigan? Okay, if you don't, if you like funny stuff, you need to look him up. He's pretty good. He has a bit he does about the saying, it ain't brain surgery, right? We say that sometimes when we're trying to say something is easy, we try to compare it to something hard and we'll say, oh, well, it ain't brain surgery, I can do it. So Gaffigan's talking about, what do brain surgeons say? You know, when they're trying to decide, describe something hard. And so he says, maybe they go, you know, it ain't like we're trying to talk to women or something, so. <laughs> Then there's the joke. You've heard this joke, right, about the guy who uh, a genie pops out of a lamp and says, you get one wish, and he says, well, I'd like, uh, I'd like a bridge from Galveston to Jamaica, so anytime I want to, I can just drive, and I'll be in the Caribbean. And the genie says, do you know what a waste of resources that is? Do you know what that's going to do to the Gulf of Mexico? Choose something else. And he says, well, I've always wanted to understand women. And the genie says, you want two lanes or four on that bridge? And then on the other side, somebody sent me this a while back. It said, this little quote, it said, women spend more time wondering what men are thinking than men do thinking. <laughs> and it is conventional wisdom that men and women can't understand each other. I've heard so many people say, oh, of course we can't understand each other. After all, I mean, there's that book, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And I can just about guarantee you that none of the people who say that have actually read that book. Okay, I've never read that book, but I can tell you it is possible for a man to understand a woman. I don't understand women because women are not this collective group that think with a hive mind. Every woman is different. You can't describe and define all women generally. So no, I don't understand women, but I better understand one woman. I better know her needs. I better know what she thinks and what's important to her, that's not just possible, that's necessary. If you're married, that's your job to understand the person you're married to. Um, in fact, some of you know this, especially if you grew up reading the, old, the King James Bible, you know that the Hebrew word for sexual intercourse is a word that means to know. It's the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A. So if you're a Seinfeld fan, it's, yeah, it's yada. But, um, but yeah, so that's why in the King James Bible, whenever it describes that act, it says, for instance, and then Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. So that's the word that the Hebrews uh, understood the, the most, the, the act that defines marriage is an act of knowing, an act of, of really letting someone in. And so... It's our job to know one another. It's our job to know each other's needs. So Galatians 4, 4 through 7, you're going to think this doesn't relate at all, but it does. Verse 4 says, But when the time had fully come, 
God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I want to point out several things in that passage. First of all, it says, at the right time, Jesus came. When the time had fully come, or in the fullness of time, is the way I learned it when I was a kid. So what does that mean, at the right time? Jesus came, okay, it's simple to say Jesus came when God intended for him to, but that's not, that's not all that it means. People have pointed out that Jesus came along at the first time in the history of the world when there was a common language that united a huge section of the planet. Everybody didn't speak Latin, but a whole lot of people did. That had never been true before. It had always been this country spoke Aramaic and this country spoke Hittite and this, you know, but now there was a common language. You, you wrote or spoke in Greek, you wrote or spoke in Latin, you could communicate across cultures for the first time in history. There were roads, there was peace in that part of the world for the first time ever. You could move from town to town, city to city, country to country. It was really the first time that something like the explosion of the gospel could ever have happened. The point, though, is that God sent him, that God sent him. Jesus wasn't just a good man born at a particular time in history. He was sent specifically by God because he was God. And then there's that word redemption, in verse 5, we, he came to redeem those under the law. Redeem, uh, the, the idea of redemption comes from the slave market. Some of you know this. So if you were enslaved in the ancient world and someone had the money and the willingness, they could buy your freedom. There's a story in the Old Testament, some of you know, that, that really illustrates this well. It's the story of, of uh, Hosea and his wife, Gomer. Yes, that was her name, Gomer. And And... Hosea marries this woman knowing she's got a bad reputation. And sure enough, she deserts him. She runs away with some other guy. And then later on in the story, God tells Hosea, go buy your wife back. By this time, whoever she ran away with is selling her in the market, selling her as a piece of property. And Hosea, you know, any other, any, any one of us men who'd been done wrong like that would, would want to say, oh, well, she got what she deserved. But no, Hosea buys her back and says, now you're mine, and you're never going to leave again. And it's this beautiful story of redemption, and God told Hosea to do it because he wanted Israel to see, even though you've been unfaithful to me, I'm going to chase you down and buy you back. Had no idea it had to do with Jesus buying us back with his blood. But that's the idea of redemption. Jesus has redeemed us and made us his own. And then there's that word adoption in verse 5 we might receive adoption to sonship. This, this idea of adoption, there, there are several families in our church who've adopted or in the process of adopting, and that's such a beautiful image of, of what God does because the child who's adopted isn't naturally born into that family, but the mom and the dad just say, come on in. We're going to treat you like one of our natural-born children. There's not going to be a difference at all you are now, you have a new identity, you have a new name, you have a new place. And that's what God has done for us. He has done more than just free us. Redemption's great. He's bought us, he's set us free, but he's also brought us into his family and he's made us his own. 
And then, and then there's that word, uh, that term, his spirit. He has set his spirit in our hearts. So he did more than set us free. He did more than adopt us. He's actually invested himself inside of us. He has made his home in our hearts. So we can become just like him. Not divine, but we can take on his character. We can take on his glory. So that, what that, one thing that means is you never need to worry that you're not his. So on your worst day, when everything's against you, you're discouraged, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're saying things you know you shouldn't say, you're having these dark thoughts you know you shouldn't think, everything is against you, you're still his. He doesn't look down and say, no, I'm done with you. You're too much trouble. I, you know, I adopted you, but I'm, I'm sending you back to the orphanage. He doesn't do that. His spirit is inside of you. That's, that's the guarantee that you're his. And, and one of the ways you know one of the ways you know that you are his is because you feel conviction of sin. You know, that's one of the signs the Holy Spirit is alive in us. See, before you were a believer, you could use people, you could manipulate people, you could be completely selfish, and it wouldn't bother you at all because that's just the cost of doing business in this world. I mean, that's how you get ahead. That's how you get what you want. And Christians, let's be honest, can still be just as manipulative. We can still be just as, as, as cruel and selfish but we don't get away with it. That's the difference. Once the Holy Spirit's in your heart, you mistreat somebody, you're going to feel terrible. Even if you don't face earthly consequences, which you probably will, but even if you get away scot-free, you're going to feel awful because the Holy Spirit is doing a number on your heart. That's how you know you're his. There are other ways too. The Holy Spirit uh, shows himself in lots of ways, but that conviction of the Holy Spirit. So, so think about all that. He sent his son, he redeemed us. He adopted us. He invested his spirit in us. Now, did God get anything out of that? I mean, was there anything in it for him? Was he thinking of himself at all? No. That is all grace. He knew what needed to happen for us, and he did it. See, that's the tie-in to what we're talking about today. God met exactly what our needs were. When we were lost... He didn't send us a little note saying, I'm praying for you. He actually went out and did exactly what needed to happen to get us on the right track, to get us where we needed to be. And that's our job. That's what love looks like. Love, when you love somebody, you take the time to know them, to know their needs, and you focus on meeting their needs. That's what love looks like. So I want to talk to you about a book. It's a book by a guy named Willard Harley called His Needs her needs. It was written some time ago. Um, I know it's been, because I read it uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, and it wasn't new then. But it was, Willard Harley is a, is a marriage counselor. He's, he's counseled with a lot of couples through the years. And what he did was, he took every couple he met who didn't make it, every couple who either the husband or wife left, um, and figured out what were the reasons that drove them? What were they looking for that they weren't finding in marriage? And what he came up with were, if you look at it that way, you can see the needs of men and women within marriage. You can identify, here's what women are looking for and often not finding. Here's what men are yearning for and not always finding in marriage. So he titled his book, How to Affair-Proof Your Marriage. Now, I am not recommending you buy this book. I'm not. It's, it's, it's informative. I'm going to share information from you, but there's three reasons. 
Number one, some people might read that book and say, oh, well, my needs aren't being met, so I'm excused for leaving. And that's not, and by the way, that's not what Harley's trying to say, but some people might, if they were looking for an excuse, might use that. And let me just say, there's never an excuse for adultery, ever, 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 ever. There's never anywhere in the scriptures where it says, well, if, if she's done this to you, you're perfectly justified in getting your needs met elsewhere. That's not in the scriptures. It's not true. So just say that clearly. Second, second reason I'm not recommending the book, I'm afraid it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy that some people could read the book and instead of focusing on, oh, well, let me read what my wife's primary needs are, they'll focus on their own needs and get less happy in marriage when they see what's wrong. I wish he'd written it in such a way that it was like, okay, here's the book for men, here's all the needs of women. Okay, here's the book for women, here's all the needs of men, but he didn't do it that way. So it can be a dangerous book in that sense. It can make you less happy. I'm afraid it could make you less happy in marriage, so don't read it for that reason. The third reason not to recommend it is men and women all don't think the same. So we're gonna go through the lists of needs that he listed, because I think they're very informative, but I think every one of us, when we see those lists, we're going to look at it, and women are going to look at the list and go, well, I resonate with some of those, but not all of them. And, women are going to look at, and men are going to look at the list for men and say, eh, you got it partially right. Uh, four out of five. So, you want to hear what he said were the primary needs of women in marriage? I find this stuff interesting. Y'all can talk this over afterwards and just know if it makes you mad, it's not my list, Okay. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. So number one need of women in marriage, according to Harley, is affection. And that's both physical, that's, that's hugs, that's holding hands, and it's emotional. It's kind words, it's considerate actions, it's the fact that you arrange time together, that, that affection. Basically anything that says, I'm thinking about you, I care about you. Uh, number two is conversation. Uh, talking to your wife, guys, is actually important. And listening to her is at least equally, I say at least equally important. Uh, number three, honesty and openness. You want to really kill your marriage, guys, then keep secrets from your wife. If you really want to kill your marriage, tell little untruths and half-truths and have her always guessing whether or not you're telling her the truth. Then you'll really destroy your relationship. On the other hand, if she knows she can trust you, she knows that your life is an open book before her. She knows that when she grabs your phone just to check the time and you don't grab it away from her before she can see who you just text message, that's a good thing, right? If you trust her, if your life is an open book. I know I've spent a lot of time there, but that's, the first two are pretty apparent. This one takes a little unpacking. Number four, financial stability. Now, this is one of those, and there's one of these in the men's list, that I, I look at it and I think, Harley wrote this a long time ago, and maybe today when most couples are dual-income couples, this isn't as big a deal, but I think it still is for a lot of women, and that is just the idea that I'm married to a man who puts our family first financially. I'm, I'm not saying I need a sugar daddy, but I just want to know that he's going to do what it takes to provide. I just want to know that when he gets money, he's not going to go out and buy a boat or take his friends out for drinks before he's taking care of the needs of the family. I know that I'm not having to scramble and pay off debts that he's run up or, or worry about the lights getting turned off because he's not taking care of business. So financial stability is a big need 
in marriage. Again, these are things, these are reasons why Harley saw women walk away because they weren't getting these things. And maybe they saw the opportunity to get those needs met somewhere else. Number five, family commitment. Um, a wife needs to see a husband that puts his family first, that cares about his family. If they have kids, if, that he's a good dad, that he puts his kids above himself. Uh, so here are the men's uh, top five needs, according to Willard Harley. What do you think is on the first, first thing on the list, right? Yeah, you know, you got it. Sexual fulfillment is number one on the list. I probably don't need to elaborate. By the way, um, I'm talking in two weeks on November 11th. The whole thing is going to be what the Bible says about sex. So if that gets you here, good. If, it, if you're thinking, okay, I'm definitely going to be somewhere else because that's going to be really awkward. We're all adults. Come on. That's November 11th, so I won't spend a lot of time here. But that is definitely a need that, that men express in marriage. Number two, recreational companionship. That is just a long way of saying he likes it when his wife likes the things he likes and, in, and participates in activities with him that he enjoys, or at the very least doesn't resent him doing those activities, but supports them, okay? Number three, physical attraction. A, a man just needs to find his wife attractive. Number four, and this is the one I say, maybe if he did the study today would be different, is domestic tranquility. Again, I think a lot of people today, a lot of, uh, a lot of millennial husbands especially, maybe even Gen X husbands, you know, we grew up and our mom worked, and so we don't necessarily expect our wives to have uh, roast beef on the table when we get home and everything vacuumed and, and clothes washed, but I guess there are some guys that are, they still expect that in, in their wives. I don't know, but that, is a, that was a need that was mentioned uh, in his research. And then number five, and I, I definitely believe this one, admiration. I've said it before and I'll say it again. A man who has a wife who believes in him and who expresses that outwardly, he can do anything. He is unstoppable. On the other hand, a man who... For all his gifts, for all his abilities, for all his strengths, if he's got a wife who doesn't believe in him, who runs him down, he's going nowhere. Uh, if there's one person he needs to believe in him, it's his wife. So, how do we use this information? Well, first of all, talk about it. If your spouse is here with you today, talk about this when you get home. Uh, don't talk about it during the sermon at 11. You, you, You'll have plenty to think about there, but talk about these lists and, and just share. Okay, I didn't really agree with this one. I, that's really not a need of mine. Uh, if you're really, really, really brave, ask your spouse, how would you rank your needs in marriage? Um, this is good to know. Secondly, study your spouse. This is, you should know your husband or wife better than you know anybody, better than anybody else knows him or her. Um, it took me a while to learn how much it hurt my wife when I didn't listen to her. Because she wasn't the kind of person who would just get mad and insist, hey, you're not listening. Come on, look at me. But it, it took me a while to realize that was a real need. That hurt her when I would just sort of, and, and I wasn't rude enough to say, yeah, whatever, but she could tell when I was zoned out when my eyes had glazed over, and she calls it the dad ears, right? The dad ears, where dad only hears what he wants to hear and just tunes out the rest of the world. It took me a while to realize that. It took me a while to understand that, uh, you know, the, the energy and the time it would take me 
to get into fantastic shape wasn't as important to her as me spending time with our kids. You know, she doesn't really care whether I have six-pack abs. She cares that I'm a good dad. Now, she'd probably be okay if I had six-pack abs, right? But if that was going to happen, it probably would have happened before 48, I'm just saying. But what matters to her is that I'm a father who's there for our kids. It took me a while to understand that because that's not how most men think. But that is how a lot of women think. Um, so study your spouse and, and understand here's what their needs are. Here's what his needs are. Here's what her needs are. And then the third thing is when you realize those, don't resent them, don't ridicule them, because that's our tendency to think, oh, how ridiculous. How, why is that so important to her? Why is that so important to him? A woman may not understand why her husband groans every time she puts on those flannel pajamas. You know, the ones that button up to the chin, right? You know, you can't see a solar flare through them because they're so thick. I think her grandma died in those or something. And she's like, but they're comfortable. What do you care what I wear to bed? Well, because he kind of needs to find you attractive once in a while. And it doesn't mean you can never be comfortable. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, vacuum in pearls and high heels. Just realize what each other's needs are. Instead of rolling your eyes at, a sp at your spouse's needs, accept them for who they are and do your best. That's all we can expect. And another thing, and this is, if you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. The absolute worst way to get your needs met in marriage is by focusing on them. The absolute, let me say it again. The absolute worst way for your needs to be met in marriage is if you're focused on them. If you think about them, meditate on them, complain about them, grumble about them, drop little hints about them, compare your spouse to somebody else, and oh, look what she does for him, that is the worst way to get what you want out of marriage. I promise you 100% it won't work. It's going to make both of you miserable. I just kind of think that if you focus all your energy, or at least all that energy, on meeting your spouse's needs instead, I can't promise everything's going to be sunshine and roses, but I think it's going to be better. I sure don't think it's going to hurt, because when you're doing that, you're loving. When you're focused on the needs of that other person, you're actually loving that person. And next week, we're going to look at, at how every relationship we have is based on the principle of mutual submission in Ephesians 5. And that's what mutual submission looks like. It's, I come after you. My needs are less important than your needs. I'm going to function in such a way that I'm taking care of you first. That's love. So my challenge to you is um, pray daily. Lord, teach me to put his needs or her needs ahead of mine, just like you did for me. Because that's what he did. And that's why we're redeemed. That's why we're adopted. That's why we have his spirit inside of us. And that's why we've got a great future ahead of us. Any questions? That bring up any questions you're brave enough to raise in a place like this? All right. I appreciate y'all. If you've missed any of these and you want to catch up, they're on the podcast. Um, share that with other people. Let them know here's what we're doing. And we'll be doing this uh, for another month and a half. So you can get them here. By the way, next Sunday, fallback day, you get that extra hour. Best day of the year. 
don't miss it. If you're early, you're early. That's okay. Just, you know, beat somebody else to the coffee. But just want to make sure you knew it. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Remember, couplecheckup.com, if you're married or engaged and you want to uh, DIY marriage enrichment, couplecheckup.com is only $35. It's a great way to do it. If you need some help, let us know. We can arrange that. So thank you all for being here. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then y'all spend some time praying around your tables, and I'll see you in the worship center in the sanctuary at 11. So let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for what you've done for us. We pray, O oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would create in us the same heart. Lord, our hearts are so different than yours. Our minds are so different. We just have a tendency to focus on our own needs, and it never works out when we do that. We always get discouraged and depressed, and we always make things worse than they actually are. Lord, teach us to think of the needs of the people you've brought into our lives, especially those of us who are married It's just not easy to put someone else first consistently. But Lord, you can train us into those kinds of people. Give us that that much humility. Teach us, O Lord, to care about the needs of the person you've brought to us and to meet those as best we can. Lord, we lift these things before you in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.